This episode of GNO Voice is sponsored by our friends at Skywire, innovators in the point of sale, spa, and mobile marketing space, providing you solutions for all of your hospitality needs. Learn more at skywire.com. So welcome to GNL Voice. I want to welcome Serena Peterson and Anton Kuhlman, uh, partners in a Las Vegas-based game design company called Jackpot Designs. Yes, hello. Hello. Yeah, thanks well, for having us. Yes, you are. Uh, thanks for being part of our initial podcast series here. So one of the topics we want to talk about today is game design. And I know that's one of your fortes and that's one something your company does. Can one of you kind of tell our audience what exactly game design is and what what components, what's important in game design? In a lot of ways, it comes down to, uh, you know, depending on who you ask. Um, for some people, game design means, you know, kind of the creation of the initial game concept or, you know, just the rule set or, you know, just the ideas behind the game. Um, and for others, it can mean the entire production management cycle of the game itself and then you know, definitions fall anywhere in between. So we know we've seen some companies where their game designers are more of a project management kind of role and other companies where a game designer literally just means a, a game mathematician that's fleshing out you know, game concepts be, and, and rules. Yeah, it could be an artist as well as, a, as also a common, mis- like, just as everyone has their own terminology as far as game design. Okay. So as far as our own definition, uh, I would say um, uh, when we say game design, we mean all of the above. So really the concept design behind the game, including, you know, the rules and the math profile that the game is trying to target, coupled with the, the theme, the art style, the sounds, the game flow, and then bringing that all together into, into a full game vision. Yeah, we like the phrase uh, holistic design. Uh, and by that, we mean that the game is designed with all pieces in mind uh, for for a very natural experience, um, a, mitch, a mismatch between the, the art style and the math, for example, uh, can be very jarring for a new player. Um, for example, a low time on device with a, a cartoony theme uh, is pretty is pretty common. Or sorry, is pretty uncommon. Okay, you mentioned rule set. What does that mean? So I mean that can mean a lot of things. There's lots of different slot games out there, and all of them have a you know kind of a unique set of rules or features. You know, for some of them, um, you know. They'll have you know X number of lines, bonuses triggered by scatters, or maybe a bonus is triggered by filling up reels with a certain symbol. So when we say you know rule sets or, or features, it's really the the kind of baseline, the rules that the game is is based on. You know, a, a good example is looking at some classic board games like chess or or Candyland, right? And just all the ways that the the game mechanics actually work. It, there's a very similar kind of structure in the in the slot world where each slot game has its own set of, of predefined rules that it follows. When you start a new game, where do you start? Or when you're designing uh, a new game, where do you start? I, th- th- that varies as well, right? Um, sometimes we'll we kind of have an idea pop into our mind as far as maybe a certain um, game rule, or we'll see some, uh, we'll have something visually kind of that comes into our mind and how maybe two mechanics would work well together, or maybe we see something visually that sparks. Maybe we could do that as a mechanic. Sometimes we see, you know, when we walk the casino floors, we'll see a certain game and look at it and and say, uh, you know, what do we like about this game? What don't we like about this game? How would we improve upon this game? Uh, You know, something that draws us to it. Does the age of the player come into consideration when you're designing a game? I, I don't know that I would say the age of the player. Maybe type of player? The type of player, definitely. <laughs> what do you mean by uh, that? Is considered. 
when you say type, what uh, type of player are you sure. considering? So I, I can run with this. I, we, we like to kind of, it's very broad. And, and of course, there's going to be some you know players that don't necessarily fit completely into one of these two categories. But, but we tend to look at players as kind of entertainment players and then uh, gamblers. Uh-huh. So entertainment players, it's maybe, you know, maybe you're your visitor to Las Vegas. You know, they've, they've never really play slot machines, you know, they they come to Las Vegas, they put their 20 in their machine and they want to have a good time, you know, experience as much as they can, get a couple of drinks while they're sitting there. Um, and they're really looking for something where, you know, they're seeing a lot of events happen. Um, there's a lot of features, maybe there's the game is based around a show or a movie they love. So they're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, video clips and, and one-liners from the movie. And then that their money lasts for kind of a long time. But you know, in those kind of games, getting that big win, that big jackpot moment doesn't really happen that often. Those games are, are really targeting that entertainment style player or the, the, the infrequent visitor. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of that coin, uh, you know, a gambler is going to be, you know, maybe someone who's going to a casino a couple of times a month or more. They're really looking for something that's more of a, a bankroll experience where they don't mind, you know, playing a game that, you know, what we would call maybe a little harsh or volatile where their money could run out much more quickly. There's a little less production value in terms of, you know, time spent on video clips or, or things of that nature, but the win potential is there for them to be able to get that, that kind of big, uh, big payday. So let's say you're, you're designing a game for a gambler. How do you take that into consideration? What are, what are some of the key components when you say, I'm going to design a brand new game and it's going to match our, be for the gambler type of audience? What, how do, how do you start that? Yeah, I, I think if we're making a gambler game, as Serena said, we, we'll start it with the math. It's, math is, I would say, much more important for that kind of game because that's most of what the gambler is, is going to be looking for in that experience. How so? I think like visually, so again, I'll just say like when you're walking through the casino, you know, you'll see those games that are really flashy and that that will that will get you to, to it draws a player to come and sit down at it. But if the if the math of the game doesn't doesn't feel well, um, you know, they could just sit down and lose it instantly and they're never going to really want to go back and play that game again. I, I mean, that's exactly how I would feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if the math is a good experience, if it's a good, you know, a good ride, I guess it'll get the player to come back. So it's okay to have like these ups and downs, these peaks and, and, and valleys, because that's a good experience. It adds that anticipation, that, that adrenaline that you're seeking kind of. So if I were to walk through a casino, how would I pick out two different types of slots we talked about? Sure. So, so there's a, there are a lot of visual cues there as well, right? So, I mean, Serena mentioned before a holistic design. Um, you know, we, we would never make a, a game targeted at a gambler that had, you know, a theme with, you know, a lot of candy and clouds and, you know, pixies and unicorns and things like that. We call kind of a soft theme, <laughs> uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Um, it, that's something that someone might sit down and be like, oh, this might be fun and entertaining, but but I don't think anyone would ever sit down at a machine like that, um, you know, my little pony slot machine and think I'm going to have a really riveting gambling experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when you're looking for those kind of more gambler-centric games, you're really looking for, you know, those strong themes, you know, a lot of animal themes. Buffalo is a classic example. You know, some of the Konami titles like Dragon's Law or, you know, these these strong animal themes that kind of imply to the player when they look at it, like this, you know, this this game's gonna pay out big or it's gonna take my money from me and, and that's the experience I want. So what about like a, a double and triple diamond? 
Yeah. Both really good games. Yeah, um, both excellent. A really, really great math in those games. I, I still play a lot of one-line uh, double diamond. It's um, really easy to understand, right? A player can sit down and instantly understand what's happening. They don't have to, like, read through a, a set of rules. <laughs> oh, yeah. With the, the, the new penny slots where you have, like, 25 billion different lines, I, those just, uh, f- you know, fry my noggin. And, right. and the double and triple diamonds. You want to keep easy to understand. <laughs> uh-huh. like, I don't want to – I'm not going to read – I'm not out to go read at the, at the casino. Yeah, and the only way I know I won something is if something if the bells rang, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna direct this question to you, Serena, and then I'll, when you when you're done, I'll ask uh, Anton the same thing. Serena, what in your background helps helps you with your job uh, in in game design? Well, my background is in math, uh, so um, I have a, a bachelor's and a master's in mathematics, and so I just think that the we started out kind of as mathematicians in, in uh, casino, uh, in slot design, and uh, it helped us to learn how, how that affects the gameplay. And then, it was, and then working more with the artists was, I mean, you know, it makes it more fun because you get more involved with the game and they, they might have, they might pitch you an idea of something visually they're thinking of doing with a certain mechanic, for example, like you could do like a wild transferring onto other reels and they might have this cool animation that they're doing and it, it might spark some other kind of idea in you to make a better game. But it's, they're all, like, there's all sorts of like pulls and levers as far as designing the math behind it to make it that fun game experience. I think sometimes people, I always call it like the Jackson Pollock thing. They're like, what if we do the following hundred things in this game? I'm like, well, you can, but it, it there's just, it, something has to come from everywhere. Right. Cause there's a, there's only so much uh, percentage that you're allowed to, to calculate with or, or return to player that you have to work with. So I think the math helps to understanding what certain mechanics work well together and then how they affect each other can make that better gameplay overall. What's your favorite part of, of what you do? Is it the, the design? Is it the coding? The, the math? Or, or all of yes, the above? It's the coding. The coding? <laughs> it's, I would say it's the design. And, and then like um, when we get like a game in place. So we typically will iterate on a math, uh, math model itself. Like once we have it kind of set in place, we'll each do, you know, 20 to 50 iterations on that math model, you know, each being a 90% return to player game. Uh, but we are trying different things. Maybe we want the frequency of this game to happen at 100 spins versus the next time I do an iteration, I want it to happen every 150 spins. That that money can be put elsewhere, you know, maybe higher pay table or a lower pay table. Uh, Anton, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. What, what in your background helps you with the game design? Similarly to Serena, my, my background is and education is is primarily in mathematics, and, and I also started uh, in the slot world as a, as a games mathematician. Um, so kind of expanding from there, having that core experience as a mathematician is great. Kind of understanding how the game rules are going to work in terms of an overall gambling experience. But then uh, on the other side, I would say you know in terms of hobbies and things like that, I, I grew up. Uh, uh, playing video games and, and do a, you know, I would consider myself a gamer. So I'm often kind of taking that skill outside of the slot world, I, mm-hmm. I suppose, um, breaking down different video games and kind of the math models they use behind there, as well as how they're doing that different presentation, how they're kind of creating that uh, emotional uh, experience that, that links to your progress as a player or, or to the, you know, to kind of the ride that you're on there. 
So it's a little bit of both. You know, I, the math experience is great in terms of being able to understand how a slot game works in, in, in a very uh, intimate level. But as a, as a person who consumes a lot of games myself, both on the casino floor and outside the casino floor, I, I think that that has helped me a lot as well. So I got to ask you, are you a console gamer or are you a PC gamer? Both. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, know, I know a lot of people really like to align themselves on, on one side or the other, um, but, but absolutely both. Um, and, you know, more and more as technology advances and, and, and we become uh, more on the move, a uh, uh, mobile gamer. <laughs> yeah, I, I basically I used to always play Donkey Kong, but now now past the there Donkey go, Kong, yeah. game, I can't I can't do them these days. I just <laughs> I right. don't have the dexterity. Um, I know there's sound involved with game design. There's art. How does that impact and, and how you as the game designer, how do you tie that into the math or the overall design, the sound and the art and to make sure that people play it? Sound has a huge impact. A great example, and I'm going to use the same example I used already uh, in our discussion. Uh, a great example is Aristocrats Buffalo. One of the most iconic sound packages on the casino floor, there's a multiplied wild in the free games that whenever it reveals the multiplier, there's this red-tailed hawk screech. And you can hear it in every casino floor all the time. You, you just hear this very high-pitched bird screech across the casino floor. And for anyone who's played Buffalo and, and had that experience before, it, it resonates there because it's always linked to a very large win potential during a bonus game, which is kind of the core uh, motivator behind that game itself. And, and so that, I mean, that sounds just very impactful. In the same game, there's a, a group of guys, you know, yelling the word Buffalo when you, you get a, a good Buffalo win. And, um, and, and those sounds, Buffalo, yeah. And, and they're very simple, but at the same time, uh, they're very impactful. It, it, it's interesting how, how kind of those audio cues really bring back a lot of memory. And, and for someone who, you know, is still playing a game like Buffalo that's been on the floor for a long time, they're going to have those associations. And, and I'm absolutely sure that's contributed to its, its, you know, its longevity. So the psychology of that is, you know, you, you've played the game. You know, you recognize those sounds and you hear that screech and you say, oh, I got I should go find that Buffalo game. Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of players are going to get a little itch. They're going to say, you know, maybe I should be playing Buffalo instead of whatever I'm playing right now. Okay. So kind of continuing on, there's a lot of other sounds. I mean, sound's a very important part. Um, for example, when bonus symbols land on screen, they always make a, you know, as long as a bonus could be triggered, they'll, they'll make a sound. Usually you know, we call it an impact sound or a bonus landing sound. And those sounds kind of increase and give that that feeling of, you know, like dun, dun, dun. And that increasing sound, it creates that very short-lived but powerful uh, sense of anticipation in the game. Once you get those, you know, three or more bonus symbols or whatever it's going to take to get into that feature, the fire bell sound that you hear around the casino floor, that's kind of that sense of achievement as well. Great, I've gotten it, I've received it, I've won it, and I, and I feel really good. And I would say maybe the last kind of sound I'm thinking of now uh, uh, that's impactful is once you've gotten a big win, you know, relative to your bet, whatever it is, let's say you get, you win a hundred times your bet, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, each game has its own set of, of win jingles is what we would call them. And, and those are those big celebration sounds, you know, 
there's you know the Beethoven uh, music that plays and things like that. You have coins spewing across the screen with the coin chinking sounds and and all of that fanfare happening. That really you know the player is going to to just kind of breathe in that moment and and uh, and have that kind of long term uh, memory from that 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 big win. Do you get involved with the sound um, creation, or do you? Uh, absolutely. Or, yeah. Yeah. Oh, how, so, how does that work? So, so typically, um, in you know, as a game designer, we'll have something in mind, whether it's for the background music or or for those sounds that I just described. You know, bonus landing sounds, win celebration packages, and we'll usually collect some samples, you know, from the internet or, or wherever the case may be of, of what we're kind of thinking, and we'll have a sound engineer uh, run with that and create something, and then we'll do you know a, an iterative feedback loop until we think that it meshes properly with the theme, the art, and, and the actual feel of the game. At the beginning of the, the discussion, we were talking about the types of games, the games for gamblers and the games for entertainment. What, what are the different sounds between those types of games? A lot of it's going to be uh, theme-specific. So for a lot of the entertainment games, especially the IP games, you know, you're, you're going to be getting a lot of sound files from the, the movie or show that it's based off of. But let's just say it's not an IP game. Um, again, with those softer themes, you know, maybe it's a, an underwater fish theme. You're going to have more sounds, you know, bubble sounds or conch shells, you know, blowing or things like that that, that fit thematically and, and aren't, aren't very jarring. They kind of allow for a serene, continuous entertainment experience, more like watching a long movie. In the kind of other style of game, the gambler games, you're going to get those stronger sounds. You're going to get those those gong sounds. You're going to get those you know those strong fire bells and and you know that the big symphonic fanfare, big win celebration music that that are more in line with that kind of uh, sense of achievement versus the you know the the sense of watching a movie and being entertained. Ah, that's uh, yeah, it's I'm learning so much because now when I go into a casino, I'm going to be listening for that. And, okay, <laughs> that's that's a gambler game. I mean, you know, so Serena, let's. Uh, throw the art question over to you how does how does the art and the the graphics how does that how do those decisions come into the design of the game their art art is massive obviously right because that visually is uh, the first impression the game is giving to a player and it's all it's all about the chase and getting the player to easily understand the game and understanding how they can get that big win the art and uh, animation make the game easy to understand I talk, uh, without reading the instructions before playing, kind of what we talked a little bit about earlier. Art symbol sizes will help players to notice what symbols they need to like focus more. The the animations that go along with how uh, the, the functionality of the certain game mechanics, the visual effects obviously is with the animations. And this, ha- this helps the player to very quickly recognize what they're chasing and what that big win potential is. It, it's the thing that, all right, if a game doesn't look visually uh, appealing to a player, they're not going to sit down and play it. So that's the thing that gets the player to sit down and give it a try. So it's it's huge. It's first impression, right? Right. First impressions are huge. So I, you know, if you take a look at slot machines, when, when I first moved to, to Las Vegas in, say, 86, you know, there weren't too many. There was video poker. Now, that was yeah. probably the only type of video. But the slot machines were pretty basic. You know, they had mm-hmm. bars, they had the double diamonds. What caused that evolution into to the more graphically inclined slot machines? How, how would why would you say that happened? Well, technology is one, but <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I just think that, right, as technology changed, as more different uh, variety of slot machines were introduced, um, that is what kind of helped. You know, it's all about how how fast and how easy can the player understand this game. And if it's if it's visually, if we can add to that visually, then that's, I think, help, what helped with the transition over to, to focusing on that, the visual look of the game. Okay. The transition from, like, just a three cherries game. But, that, I mean, that all comes down to the technology changes, I, I, in my opinion. Yeah, I have an antique slot machine here in my house, and it's, I mean, it's totally mechanical. There's bells, oranges, plums, and cherries, and three bars. And if you get the jackpot, I think you get twenty dollars in quarters. But it's very simple. Oh, and and when I take take the guts out, it's I say, oh, that's how it works. But you know, we talk about the the sound and the the art. And then behind all the scenes, there's there's the math. I can't help but think there's some sort of um, human psychology that has to be involved with all of this. Does, is that a good assumption? That's absolutely true. And uh, I think we, we touched on psychology a little bit, but rather than there being one overarching kind of human psychology that you know applies to the success or failure of a game as a whole, I, I think each of the components we've talked about have their own kind of set of, of psychological impacts. You know, we talked about the sound a bit, and Serena just mentioned the art, you know, having that ease of understanding. And I, w- I would even say, you know, whether you're talking about modern games and, you know, 1080p art or or a, a classic Liberty Bell style game, you know, with, with bars, cherries, and fruit, uh, the psychology is uh, very similar. You know, seeing a big seven or, or a big diamond with a 2x on it. Uh, you're going to immediately understand that that has high value versus seeing a you know a single bar that's that's much thinner and smaller than the other symbols. Um, you're going to very easily understand that that's you know that's going to give me something, but it's it's the lower value symbol that I'm I'm not really looking for. Mm-hmm. So you know we there there are so many games out there. What have you experienced any that are just complete failures? Like that will never work, or they pull it off the floor because no one plays it. I mean, I think that happens uh, all the time. Um, I, I, I'd have to strain to think of one that was just a, a complete flop. I think most games will, you know, when they first come out, it's still new. Um, it's still a new game to the market, and they're always going to get some performance, some level of performance uh, be, because of the novelty. But, you know, definitely some games are have have longer legs and some are a bit short-lived uh, once they're on the floor for that initial rush. What, you know, I did a lot of consulting when I was in the, in the industry. So I would, you know, I'd do tribal. I was doing a lot of Las Vegas. I did Atlantic City. I did the Bahamas, Aruba, mm-hmm. all sorts, and Canada. How do the different gaming jurisdictions affect game design? Most regulations and, and jurisdictions, the focus is going to be on, you know, different rules they have for how the software operates and then rules for the math. In terms of, you know, graphical design, things like that, there's there's not too much of a difference, but it's generally best to, I mean, we always attempt to, de- to design a game that's going to work everywhere and then, you know, oftentimes make a little tweaks for some places, right? It's generally best to design a game really just to not mislead the players in any way uh, for a lot of reasons. Honestly, most regulations are, are focused on that fact alone. If, you know, if you're making a game that's, that's not misleading the players, that you know, what you see is what you get, oftentimes you're, you're designing a game that's going to be compliant pretty much everywhere. 
because that's really the main job of those regulators is to protect the player. Now, that being said, for different jurisdictions, there may be some constraints that lead to a slightly different game. And, and often operators will make uh, regional specific uh, math or presentations for those jurisdictions. So, for example, some uh, jurisdictions, especially jurisdictions run by uh, some kind of commission. So, you know, like a Canada Lottery Commission or, or states who run their own, you know, gaming commissions um, will have very specific uh, returns to player. So everything in that state or province is, is going to really fall into a very narrow return range opposed to, you know, some other jurisdictions where, where that range could be very high. You know, there could be limitations on the total number of free games that a bonus can award, or there could be caps on the maximum win uh, that the game can allow. So, I, I mean, as I say these things, really a lot of it comes down to the math. Uh, that's where most of it falls, you know, in terms of art and themes and, and symbols and, you know, sounds and all that other stuff that we've spoken about. Um, the jurisdictions don't, don't really come into play uh, with the exception of, you know, if, if you're going to send a, a game to Macau, then thematically it should match, you know, the games that perform well in Macau, for yeah. example. Serena, when you were talking <laughs> about the art, you had said, you know, if it were uh, based on a movie or, or a TV show, when you're going down that route and you're designing a game based on one of those, how, how does the copyright, how do those copyrights for those TV shows or for those movies or for those songs affect the design and what's the process of doing that? So it affects it a lot. We, I've, got, I've kind of worked on a few different games that have, have, have had that um, as a, as been lucky enough to, to get to do that. But you will typically work with the IP owners. Um, you have weekly updates and you have approvals on art, animation, sound, game rules, the overall gameplay. Um, what happens is it just, it slows down production, but on the release of the game, it gets that instant recognition and it, which, you know, correlates to more coin in for, for that game. Mm-hmm. Do mm-hmm. the individual characters get royalties or does that matter? So they can, but I think it depends on, on which game is being released. Um, so my, and this is just an assumption, like the Britney Spears Aristocrat game, my assumption would be is that, yeah, she does get a share of that. You know, if a movie studio owns the rights to all of the, you know, video clips and sounds and everything for that movie, yeah, exactly. they're not necessarily going to pass on any royalties to the actors from the movie. But, you know, in Serena's example of Britney Spears game, you know, no one owns Britney Spears, but Britney Spears. Right. So that's kind of a direct uh, IP relationship. So one of the things, one of the type things is social casinos, online gaming. How does that affect our land-based games and the design and, you know, your day-to-day job? What's, how is that changing that? So, I, I mean, I think social casinos have introduced a lot of, let's say, uh, really cool things. So one way to look at a social casino is, you know, compared to a land-based casino is a, a land-based casino doesn't make its own games, but it does operate them. So they have, you know, you're going to have things like player rewards programs uh, and all these other programs that operate at a casino level, but that don't necessarily integrate with each game, uh, uh, game by game. Whereas in social casinos, we're in the situation where you have operators that are creating their own content. And so they're able to integrate things, you know, like player level ups and bonuses, um, persistent features and, and collection mechanics, um, for example, a lot of games will have a collection of a certain symbol that fills up a meter. And once you fill it up, you might move to the next stage on a map that gives some kind of bonus. And each time you move to the next stage, it's something a little bit different. 
on the casino floor, it's very hard to do something like that uh, because, you know, once the player walks away from the machine, you know, how do you maintain that progress? Difficult um, in a land-based environment to to be able to track that progress. So, you know, a player goes home for the night and they want to come back and and pick up where they left off. It's very difficult to translate that into a player-by-player player kind of tracking and progression. Um, so we're seeing a lot of persistent features, you know, player progression levels, overall economies interacting with the slots on a, on a really a, a game level um, that is only really possible in that kind of all-inclusive uh, environment. So that wraps up our interview with Anton and Serena about game design. So I want to thank both of you for your time. So we're going to be talking about slot math with Anton and Serena in an upcoming episode. And that one is going to be very interesting. So get your geek hats on and uh, we'll be talking to Serena and Anton again. So Serena and Anton, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks, John. It was, it was a pleasure.